From the 809 Restaurant and Lounge in the heart of Inwood, New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm Aaron Sims. And I'm Jonathan Bell. And this is Live and Local. It's our podcast dedicated to showcasing the musicians of Upper Manhattan. We talk about what they do, and best of all, listen to them perform live in one of our favorite local uptown venues. Who is joining us today, Jonathan? Aaron, today we welcome lifelong Manhattanite John Albin. John is a blues and jazz guitarist, composer, and vocalist who has been playing in and around New York since the early 1980s. John has appeared at many of the city's blues, jazz, and rock venues and can most often be heard in a jazz guitar duet with Mike Milconian. The two have been regulars, pandemic permitting, at Kismet Indian Restaurant in Washington Heights and Batola Italian Restaurant on the Upper West Side. John also performs with his jazz-influenced original blues band Blue Food, most recently at the Washington Heights Jazz Festival and is a stalwart of the burgeoning Upper Manhattan jazz jam scene. We are pleased to have him today on Live and Local. Without further ado, let's listen to John Alvin. your head hang down so low Alberta baby child let your hair hang down so low you know I'd give you more gold your apron would hold if you just let your hair hang down so low Alberta child What's on your mind? Alberta, baby. Child, what is on your mind? You know you make me so sad. Treat me so bad. Won't you please? Oh, tell me what's on your mind. Alberta, why do you treat me so unkind? 
Alberta baby Why do you treat me so unkind You got me worried And you You always Got me blue Won't you please Oh tell me why do you treat me so unkind? Alberta Child, let your hair hang down so low Alberta, baby Child, let your hair hang down so low You know I'd give you more gold than your apron would hold if you just let your hair hang down so low. If I fall through the cracks Would you help me find my way If I fall through the cracks Would you help me find my way If I held out my hand, would you take it or turn away? If I lose my home, would you leave me 
on the street. If I lose my home, would you leave me on the street? you just walk away if I begged you for something to eat turn away from me if I lose my mind would you turn away from me would you just look away If I fall through the cracks, would you help me find my way? If I fall through the cracks, would you help me find my way? If I hold out my hand, would you take it or walk away? John, thank you so much for being here today. That was some smooth playing. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, first, would you mind telling us what you just played for us? Uh, the first song I played is called Alberta, and it is uh, it was written by folk singer Bob Gibson, who uh, was one of the early sort of f folk revival figures in the 50s and early 60s, and he was kind of a mentor figure to uh, Bob Dylan and... Uh, and that, and John Baez, and that generation of folk artists, and the song has particular meaning for me because I grew up in the village, and uh, you know, I was born in 1962, so right, right in the thick of all that, and um, that song was also done by by a band called the Blues Project, which was uh, one of the pre precursors to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It was uh, it included Al Cooper and Steve Katz, who went on to found 
Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and in my high school rock and roll days, it was one of my favorite albums, and I often played that song with, you know, garage bands and, you know, played it on rooftops and, and, uh, and garages around uh, the, uh, the metropolitan area, as it were. Um, I'd kind of forgotten about that song, and all of a sudden, I don't know, it, a couple of months ago, it kind of popped back in my head, and I didn't even realize that it had been written by Bob Gibson. Who, who also has special significance for, for me because he was one of the neighbors in my building when I was growing up. Wow. And his daughters actually babysat for me as a little <laughs> kid. Um, and I had been listening to a fair amount of Bob Gibson recently, um, just kind of going through my, my dim childhood memories of that folk era and the way that kind of folk musicians were traipsing in and out of my parents' life and in our apartment and stuff like that. And the song came back to me and... I thought about, well, how could I do this a little differently? You know, the original version of it has sort of a House of the Rising Sun kind of feel. It's like a real, you know, it's a folk song. It's, even though it was written in, you know, in modern times, it was meant to evoke, you know, a, 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 a song from the early 20th century. But I decided to, to rethink it a little bit and add some jazz harmony to it and bring it into my own kind of feel. And that's, that's sort of, I'm trying to put this a little less vaguely, but um, that's kind of the, the challenge I find in that my music goes in a lot of different directions. I can play sort of, you know, gut bucket Chicago blues. I can play bebop influenced straight ahead jazz. I can play, you know, garage band, you know, jam band rock and roll. Uh, I can play sort of whatever anybody asks me to, you know, as needed. Um, and all of those influences seem kind of disparate, but a song like that, I found a way to pull them all together in one place, and that, and it has particular appeal to me. So, like when I've been doing uh, my duet sets or some of my live solo jazz sets for uh, Kismet Indian Restaurant and Jazz Wahai, um, I've I've brought that into my repertoire, and it has a lot of meaning for me. Hmm. Um, John, one thing that leaps out immediately is the um, very natural, very convincing, very persuasive feeling vocally that you have for the blues. Um, would you mind taking us back a little bit to your um, coming of age and um, how you got, I'm, I mean, I'm of course interested in the guitar, mm -hmm. but I'm, for this moment, I'm kind of interested right now in your, in your vocally. First of all, you have a very kind of the type of resonant voice, which I think matches idiomatically quite well with the music, it's a great fit. And I'm just um, wondering how that came about your attraction to the blues. Um, well, that's that's a good question. Um, I guess it, it, again, it goes back to my my roots as a kid, um, and uh, my father in particular was a big influence on. Obviously, everybody's father's big influence in how they developed. But my father was. Uh, he was a college professor and an economist, um, and he was mainly a classical music maven. I mean, he had a phenomenal grasp of class, classical, classical music, even though he wasn't a musician. But he was interested in a little bit of everything. So we're all, there were all these records in my dad's record collection, like the Blues Project record that I talked about. And there was also a Muddy Waters record called Fathers and Sons, which features Muddy Waters and um, a guitar player named Mike Bloomfield, who was kind of a legend of, of white Jew blues, which is what I am. 
<laughs> and uh, uh, it also featured Paul Butterfield and uh, Muddy Waters Rhythm Section. And as a little kid, I just heard this voice, this Muddy Waters voice, just coming out of me. And I was like, what is that? Because I don't know if you've ever heard Muddy Waters very much, but it's, it's absolutely an incredible sound. My father also had a Muddy Waters <laughs> in his record collection, so yeah, I understand that. And, and, and Bo it, Diddley and all was, those guys. It was a mm. sound that just really stuck with me. Mm. Now, my early musical training was actually, I, I took classical guitar lessons for a couple of years as a kid, and then I, I kind of put the guitar down, and I didn't really think about it until I was in high school. And somewhere along the way, somebody had showed me a 12-bar blues progression. So in high school, I started meeting all of these people, who, kids my age, like a million kids who were into playing blues harmonica, and they all needed me to accompany them. So I just sat there accompanying them on blues guitar. And then somewhere in the middle of it, uh, my dad looked in, in, in the back pages of the Village Voice, which in those days had classified ads in it, and he saw that the lead guitar player from the Blues Project, Danny Kalb, was offering guitar lessons. So I went and I traipsed over to his scary apartment on, you know, on West 16th Street, which Chelsea was a scary neighborhood in 1976 and 78 and whatever it was. And I took some guitar lessons from, from Danny Kalb, who showed me, mm -hmm. I'm getting to the singing part, don't worry. <laughs> um, he taught me a bunch of tunes and a bunch of the classic blues licks and sort of straightened out some things in my playing. But then he told me, you have to sing. Hmm. And he, he made me sing songs. Like, he, he taught me, like, some Jimmy Reed songs, like, uh, you know, Big Boss Man and, and uh, uh, Caress Me Baby. And he taught me Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out. And he taught me Alberta. Hmm. And uh, he, he, he impressed on me how important it was to sing. Because I, 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 I don't feel like I'm a particularly natural singer. And certainly early on, I was always kind of shy about it. But what I found is that um, in order to feel the music, you, you, even if you're playing instrumental music, like you're playing a jazz standard or something like that, you have to understand the vocal versions of it. You have to feel the lyrics. You have to feel the song in order to play it. And that, so with time, I became a more comfortable vocalist. And as I started playing in bands in college especially, nobody would sing. So I'd be like, OK, I'll sing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened. And um, I just stuck with it. And I've never studied vocal technique or anything like that. And I've never particularly cultivated my own voice. But it's mm -hmm. all been, always been about how do I feel the song and what's coming through me. And hopefully it works. And you just played an original blues song for yes. us. Yes, yes. Uh, that song is called If I Fall Through the Cracks. And it was inspired uh, about a year ago. I, you know, I had been in lockdown like everybody else, hiding from, from what it is we're hiding from right now. And I think I had a doctor's appointment or I had some reason to be in Midtown. And I hadn't been in Midtown in months. And I also had to go down to the village, I think, to see my mother for something. I don't remember. But anyways, I was, I was walking around a bunch of different Manhattan neighborhoods. And it just struck me just how many homeless people there are and how the, the, the circumstances we're facing now are having such a profound effect on people. And you just, you just see people. And what do you do? And I thought of this as you know, the homeless people calling out and saying, what are you going to do about this? And um, I don't know what to do about it because I can't, I can't change the world. But whenever I, whenever, certainly whenever I see people 
in distress on the street. I try to treat them like a person. I give them money. I don't like shoo them away. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, try to vote for people who are going to do a good job and just keep thinking about it and talking about it with people so that we don't lose sight of the kind of distress that people are in. Hmm. Is this is just jumped in my head now, not planning on it. Um, is there any connection for you between the blues as a communication genre and observations of the world that is that I don't know why I'm asking this exactly, except it seems like a home base for you as a musician. And is it a type of making music that's able to incorporate your just observations as a human of the world as you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, um, I don't know if I've thought about it in exactly those terms, but I think it, I think yes, it, it, it is a way to make observations about the world you see. I mean, there's this whole kind of cliche of the blues is the devil's music and, and, you know, and, and gospel is God's music. And I don't think that's quite right. I mean, I think if you listen to blues, what it really is, is the music of observation of ordinary life, you know, of the quotidian in the world of, of black people in the south and in the in the diaspora to the north and you know and chicago blues is full of that there, there's a question and answer nature of blues songwriting where every, uh, there's not a lot of lyrics in the blues song it's you state a question if if i lose my mind would you turn away from me or if if i fall through the through the through the cracks will you help me find my way or i got stones in my pathway and my road is dark at night and it's, first of all, it's indirect. It's usually not, well, not, I w that's maybe an exaggeration, but it's often indirect. Like in a blues song, you often people hear someone implying something about social commentary or about um, uh, uh, relationships or about um, even references to the, the world of slavery. Like taking Muddy Waters as an example, a song like, muddy like mannish boy i mean that's a declaration that i'm a man despite the oppressive world trying to tell me that i'm not a man and it's got um references to you know i've got the john the conqueror which is a reference to um uh hoodoo and uh african religion and magic that was preserved in the slave traditions in the south and blues is full of that. Now you can look at that as, oh, well, that's black music, and therefore it's cultural appropriation or something to sing it. But it's really not. It's, it's, I find it universal. I, I find it that all of our cultural groups have some sort of struggle in them. I mean, I mean, as I said, I, my background is, is, is Jewish, and there's a great, though I'm not religious, but I have a strong sense of ethnic identity and of the history of, 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 of struggle and oppression that Jewish people have faced. Mm -hmm. And that is, to me, a, a big connection to blues. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, it, the music speaks to me. The music describes the world that I see around me. And it, it means a lot to me. Do you mm -hmm. find a way to, I mean, I think, just to kind of tie it all up in a bow, it's like an expression of pain, of personal pain. Well, uh, it, I mean, whether it's broad, being a political way or it's something as atro atrocious as slavery um there's it's it blues is a lot rooted in, in a lot of personal pain it's often pain but it's also 
it's the sensual, it's, 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 it's uh, the, the, the sort of the daily experience. There's a lot of humor in blues. I mean, you get songs like, um, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a song called Kidney Stew, which is, and there's a line in it like, uh, um, uh, I'm crazy about you, baby, but I just ain't got the price. Right. Um, a lot of irony. You, you're a high-class mama, but I guess there ain't no dice. I'm going back home, going to get my old gal Sue. Going back home, going to get my old gal Sue. She ain't no caviar kind of mama. She's just plain old kidney stew. <laughs> you know, and that's just, yeah. mm -hmm. I love the wordplay. I love the, you know, the, the humor as well as the, the emotional, the, the sort of the painful elements and, and uh, the way it describes sometimes the dark side of people. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about the, the local scene for what it is, um, specifically Inwood, Washington Heights, um, and where, what you've seen in this neighborhood, um, and where you think it's going, and what the possibilities may be, and what hopes you may have for the area in terms of local performance opportunities, of course, once things open up and so forth, because I know you're, you're involved that way. Right. Well, well, first of all, I, I think I, I need to do a shout out to my friends Mark, uh, Mark Cross and Louise Rogers. They've created an organization called Jazz Wahai, which, um, I mean, they're both music teachers by, by vocation. And um, so this is, a, this is a, this branched out of what they do, but they've, they started a jam session it was at La Cala restaurant on Cabrini 181st. They also started a, series, a performance series at Kismet Indian Restaurant, and they've sort of, they've done outreach to all kinds of other ve venues around the neighborhood, and they've, they've established footholds of performance at many of the, the night spots and restaurants and bars that have been cropping up in Washington Heights and Inwood over the last several years. And they've been real ambassadors and heroes to music development in our area. And I would say to me personally as well, because up several years ago, I, you know, my music stuff was kind of on the back burner. I have a family. I have a lot of responsibilities. Didn't necessarily have the time or the energy to organize a lot of active music life. And they kind of created a scene around me that I started participating in. I've met a lot of musicians in the neighborhood. They're, one thing that's that I, I don't know if people are aware of this, but there just is a very large number of creative people around here. And uh, some of it is just the obvious that the rest of the city has gotten, especially Manhattan, has gotten too expensive for us poor artsy types. <laughs> and uh, upper Manhattan is kind of like we're sort of hanging on to the cliffs of, uh, <laughs> of the Palisades by our fingernails. Um, and uh, it's, 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 it, unfortunately, the last year has been a, a stumbling block for most of us. But I feel like there's hope in the air right now. I mean between people like Mark and Louise and, and your organ organization and the many creative people around here, I feel like there's a good chance that uh, more venues are going to reopen themselves to, to performance and that I hope to see art on the streets and art in the parks and art in the bars and whatever it is. And, of course, for now, um, anybody that wants to should come out on Tuesdays to Bennett Park to watch us all jam because that's mm. what we've been doing. Mm. 
the Jazzwall High crew has set up a little, we've got a little portable power station we can plug amps and stuff mm -hmm. into. People are coming and sitting in and playing tunes and singing and all, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. I'll sing some blues or just play some straight ahead jazz and there's a bunch of really, really good players in the neighborhood. So I mm -hmm. would encourage people to come out. Bennett mm -hmm. Park, Tuesdays at four o'clock. Mm. Well, it sounds going back downtown, it sounds also like, well, first, I'm glad to hear you sound positive um, about the uh, possibilities, uh, the prospects of this neighborhood. I agree with you, and I know that's Aaron's mission for sure, and he's well aware of the creative people around here. That's part of the reason why I know you're doing all this. But um, going back downtown, it sounds like you could write a little history yourself of a scene that used to exist um, in the village in the 70s and 80s and so forth. I was just wondering, um, well, your, your music lesson, your, your guitar lesson vignette was very interesting. I'm wondering, is there, are there any other um, episodes or memories you may have of these musicians sort of cir circling your neighborhood and coming in and out of your life that you, you may remember from those days? Um, sure, a little bit. I'm, I don't remember it too well, but... Um, uh, so there's a, on the corner of Bleecker Street and McDougal Street, there is a, uh, it's now an empty, a vacant space. It's been vacant for a very, very long time. But for, for decades, there was a place called the Figaro Cafe there. Oh, yeah. And there were, most people don't know this, but there are actually two incarnations of the Figaro. The first was in the, I uh, probably opened sometime in the 50s and until about 68 or 69. And I was kind of born and raised in the Figaro Cafe. <laughs> because uh, uh, a good friend of my parents, who was a photographer named uh, Richard Christel, uh, his day job was managing the Figaro. So we just hung out there and got free hot chocolates all day. <laughs> and uh, my father was, a, uh, was also a fixture there. He had a nickname. He was known as Pete the Prof in, uh, in the Figaro Cafe. And I have a bunch of pictures of him there and stuff like that. And it's a big part of our life. Anyway, hmm. so... Richie Havens was a regular there, and Richie Havens was a friend of my dad's who, from his Figaro days. Hmm. And so, I, again, I don't remember this, but apparently Richie Havens was a regular in our house, so that's, that's, oh. that's, that's one thing. Huh. Um, later on, when I was a little bit more aware of the world, <laughs> there were, um, uh, there were con you know, in the 60s, there were, you know, peace rallies and demonstrations and stuff all over the neighborhood. So we'd go to Washington Square and hear like Pete Seeger and Arlo Guthrie and people like that. Mm -hmm. And then later on, when I was in high school and I started playing the blues, I would go out to Washington Square and just hang out with whoever the other, you know, freaks in the park were. And there was, you know, the obvious fixtures. There was a guy named David Peel who was a kind of John Lennon wannabe who, um, who was a fixture there for years. And I didn't, I, you know, I jammed with him a, a, probably a few times. Okay. There was a guy who claimed to be Jimmy Reed. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> and any, any musicians who were playing in the park, he would come up to you and say, I'm Jimmy Reed. <laughs> like, and he, okay. was, he was all decked out in like a pinstripe suit with spats. He sort of had the look of actually more Sonny Boy Williamson than Jimmy Reed. But he said, oh, I'm Jimmy Reed. Let me play that. <laughs> and he'd sort of babble incoherently. And I, it took me a while to figure out that Jimmy Reed was actually dead and it wasn't him. <laughs> hey, you got to have a gimmick, right? Yeah, but you got to have a gimmick. Yeah. Well, uh, just a, a very much uh, question based on reality. Uh, mm -hmm. What are the other two songs you're going to play for us next? Okay, so the next two tunes I got, um, one is called Moonlight in Vermont, 
which is a, uh, a classic jazz standard that many, many guitar players do. It's sort of a classic solo piece. Um, uh, I steal bits and pieces from the, mo the most famous version is by a guy named Johnny Smith. And I, you know, I ain't no Johnny Smith, but I steal a couple of his licks. Or Jerry Reed, for that matter. Or Jerry. I'm not Jerry Reed either. <laughs> Um, and the, the last song is another original of mine, which is called I'm Gonna Buy Me a Ticket, and which is another kind of New York City flavored song. It was about um, just feeling the frustrations of living here. It was written you know, in the wake of a relationship that ended and how I just couldn't deal with all of the, you know, every, every familiar sight just reminded me of what I was not enjoying in my life. <laughs> and, and, but the song, has gone through a few incarnations where friends of mine have covered it and that sort of thing, and it sort of takes on, it doesn't have to have my meaning. It has, like a, friend, a good friend of mine is an, expat, is an expat who lives in, in Switzerland now, and he's sort of taken it as his song, as, and it sort of reflects his feelings about why he left the U.S. It doesn't have anything to do with the relationship to him. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's well, it. Looking forward to it. Here we are again. More music from John Alvin.
I'm gonna buy me a ticket And hop the next flight out of town I'm gonna buy me a ticket And hop the next flight out of town I can't take living in this city The whole place just brings me down I was born and raised here And every block is burned in my brain I was born and raised here And every block is burned in my brain Now every familiar sign Bring me nothing but heartache and pain Chicago 
head on down to New Orleans. Just to get myself somewhere, somewhere you'll never be. John, that was so fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your music with us today. Um, what can we look forward to from you coming up, and where uh, can we find more of your music on the web? Uh, well, um, at the moment, as of course, because of the for pandemic reasons, there's not a lot scheduled. But I do hope to be restarting uh, my duet, uh, my duet performances, at both Kismet and at Betola Italian Restaurant on uh, Amsterdam at 79th Street. They're actually both great restaurants, and I, I encourage people to, 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 uh, to check them out, even if there isn't music there. Um, I do not have a website at the moment, but I have a Facebook page for uh, my blues band, which is called, and so if you look up uh, Blue Food Blues Band on Facebook, you'll find um, some, a, a couple of quick videos of us and some of our recordings. Um, I also have a SoundCloud page, which is just my name on SoundCloud. You can, uh, there's a couple playlists of my original music there and recent compositions, and I would suggest that people check that out. Well, listeners, you'll be able to find some of those links on our episode page for this particular podcast, so we'll get the word out for you. Great, thank you. Sure thing. Well, thanks again, John. Oh, it was my pleasure. I really you. appreciate uh, your having me here. and. Um, you asked me some great questions that really got me thinking about stuff, and I appreciate that. Sure thing. Well, it's wonderful having you here on this episode of Live and Local on In What Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. Thanks so much to 809 Restaurant and Lounge here for hosting us in Inwood and to HeightSites.com, Jeannie McAdams, big champion of our work and all of our local uptown support coming from her uh, at Heights Sites. Be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmwork Self Fresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. You can support On Air and all of our programming by making a tax-free donation at InwoodArtworks.nyc backslash donate. This program is supported in part by funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council, and in part by a grant from the NYC and Company Foundation with partial support from Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims. I'm Jonathan Bell. For Inwood Artworks On Air.